I will follow Jesus. I hope that that's your heart and your desire, that you'll follow him wherever he leads you. Uh, Brother Decker, if you want to go ahead and come on up here, um, I want to introduce our speaker for uh, today. Um, he is, uh, he's been a friend to me, even though I haven't known him very long. Uh, he's been a great blessing, but uh, Brother Decker was saved, Brother Joe Decker was saved as a teenager in Louisville, Kentucky, so he's from uh, the great state of Kentucky. Amen. He was baptized at the Metropolitan, Met, Metropolitan. Metropolitan, there we go, I'm glad our church isn't named that or I would have a trouble saying that, Met, Metropolitan Baptist Church, where later he served as an associate pastor for over four years. He then planted and pastored the Berean Baptist Church in Scottsville, Kentucky, where he served for over six years. The Lord then moved him to Grace Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, where he served as an assistant pastor for 19 years. And uh, then, since then, he has been full-time evangelism almost, 20, well, this coming June will be 20 years in evangelism. And so uh, that's wonderful. Um, he has worked with young people his entire ministry, working and speaking at summer camps, vacation Bible schools, and youth rallies for the last 47 years. He's been faithfully serving God for 47 years. When I was in college, uh, one of the professors got up and said, you know, faithfulness is not measured in years, it's measured in decades. And so here's a man and a, and a wife who have uh, labored faithfully for the Lord for 4.7 decades. <laughs> and uh, I'm thankful for that. That's an encouragement and a blessing to me and a great now example. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's kind of what I was hoping to do. No, no. Uh, but uh, one, one neat fact, too, about them is uh, this coming February, they'll celebrate 50 years of marriage. Uh, we announced that in our Sunday school. Um, so half a century of marriage. Uh, that's pretty wonderful. <laughs> uh, they have five children, all of whom are actively serving the Lord. Uh, their oldest daughter is a pastor's wife in Oklahoma City, uh, the Gaddis family. Uh, some of you may know them from Southwest. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Gaddis's dad and mom. And so uh, that's, a, that's the connection there. Their uh, oldest son pastors in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, their other daughter is on staff at Heartland Baptist Bible College. Another daughter is serving in their home church back in Kentucky. And uh, their youngest son is an assistant pastor as well. So uh, just a great family legacy that uh, they, have, they have built. And uh, praise the Lord for him. And uh, he did a great job in Sunday school. I appreciated the message and the, the lesson that we got. And looking forward to the message this morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you uh, here, and uh, I have uh, uh, Oklahoma City. I was uh, telling your pastor, you know, whenever I can come to Oklahoma City and preach, I also have grandkids here, you know, so uh, I enjoy the uh, visit of being able to be here, and I tell my kids, you know, I had you for all those years, but now the time is for grandkids, amen, and so grandparents in here know what, what that's like, and so... But uh, we're, we're delighted to be with you. And now I hope when I get done this morning, uh, when I go to a church for the first time, and, you know, I always kind of think about uh, this uh, preacher. He had been at this church about three months. And he was standing at the back door shaking hands as people was leaving, going out. And he was back there shaking hands. And uh, this little boy comes up, and he looks up at him, and he says, 
Preacher, when I grow up and get a job, I'm going to give you some of my money. And the pastor says, well, son, that's very kind of you, but why would you want to give me some of your money? He said, well, preacher, ever since you've been here, my dad said you're the poorest preacher we ever had. <laughs> so I hope that's not your thought anyway, amen. And so, uh, but you better be careful what you say in front of them, isn't that, isn't that true as well? And so, uh, but anyway, uh, it's good to be here. I want you to take your Bibles and, and go to Luke 16. I'm going to give you a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. And in your um, uh, time of uh, uh, faith promise and missions emphasis that you're having, uh, of course, this, this will fit right in there. But let me say to you, I, I love missions. I've been in, uh, involved in my home church when I got saved, was a very missions-minded pastor. We supported over 100 missionaries uh, in that church, and my pastor loved missionaries and had them quite often. And we got to uh, fellowship and meet uh, missionaries. And then when I pastored, we had them stay in our home with us and got to know several of them as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I just, I love missions. I love it. I'm involved in Faith Promise and shared with a little bit of that with the Sunday school this morning. But this morning in Luke chapter number 16, we have a passage of scripture here that I believe tells us the great urgency of reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in Luke 16, we'll begin in verse 19 there. And the Bible says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessings now upon your word. 
Lord, I ask that you enable me and help me, God, to be able to, uh, Lord, uh, deliver the message you've placed on our heart. And God, we pray you would do that, but you alone can do. And that's to work in hearts and lives. And deal with each one, Lord. I pray that you would just help us to be receptive to you and allow you to do what you want to do. We'll give you all the glory and praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a very familiar account, and we, we look at this, and you know, uh, back first part of the year, I was doing some reading and studying, and I came up on Luke 16 and was reading this. And you know, one of the things I, I got to say, in the day and time we live in, it uh, doesn't seem like there's as much preaching about hell as there was at one time. I mean, you know, back, if you go back in uh, early uh, uh, 1900s and in the great revival era, they did a lot of preaching about hell. As a matter of fact, if you'll go back to Jesus' earthly ministry, he actually warned more about hell than he did the glories of heaven. And so because of that, I've had people say, well, if you preach on hell, are you trying to scare people into getting saved? Well, I got news for you. If I could scare people into getting saved, I'd do it. But the problem is, hey, people even today doesn't seem to be scared at all about hell. But it is something to be afraid of. I got to tell you something. As a teenager when I got saved, I was afraid of hell. I'd been witnessed to, I'd been talked to, and I'll tell you one of the things I had difficult was going to sleep at night. Every night I'd lay in my bed. Man, I I just afraid to go to sleep because if I didn't wake up, I didn't want to go to hell. Well, I'll never forget that night that I got saved. I laid my head down on the pillow, and when I laid my head down, I said, Lord, I'm going to sleep now because if I don't wake up, I'll see you in heaven. Because, wow, well, I trusted Christ and put my faith in him. And that, that changed that uh, and gave me that peace that I needed in order to. And so we think about, hey, I'll tell you something else I've said many times. And, and you may have said it, brother. And that is, well, if we could take the lid off hell this morning just for a little while and hear the screams and hear all that's going on in hell it would change all of our lives forever. But you know what? We don't have to take the lid off hell. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter number 16. He has taken the lid off hell. He's allowing us to hear from hell where the rich man is. You see, personally, uh, this is a certain rich man, and this is not a parable. This is a true account. And the, and the reason I know that is because he uses names. We got the name of Lazarus as the beggar. He is a real individual who lived. And the certain rich man. And so as a result, I believe this is a literal account of what's going on in these two men's life as we read this. But I, I want to also tell you that you don't have to be a rich man to do what he did. Because what he did was he got comfortable with his life. He got so comfortable with his life that he didn't think about eternity. 
He got so comfortable with his life that he thought, I'm okay. I've got everything I need in life. And so as a result, I don't need anything. Can I tell you, you don't have to be a rich, rich person to get that feeling. And there's people all across this world, all everywhere today that have that feeling. I'm okay. I'm doing all right. I'm making it. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. And the problem is, hey, they've never taken thought of their own soul and where it's going to spend eternity. And so we find here this rich man. He's one who didn't take time. He didn't really care, if you please, to the fact that, hey, I need to know where I'm going to spend all of eternity at. And so we look at this and see. It's a voice. It's a warning from hell. This is a warning and a voice from hell. It's the voice of a certain rich man. It's a voice of a blessed rich man. Now, I want you to understand. He's blessed in that all the physical things he's been able to accumulate. You know what? We look at this guy, and this guy's got everything. Well, that's what the world would say. The Bible says he wore the best of clothes. You see, when it says he was clothed in purple and fine linen, that was the that was the name brand clothing of the day, if you please. That was the uh, that was a top clothing. He 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 could buy whatever he wanted, and he bought the best of cloth. He bought the best of clothing, and so he could wear anything he wanted to wear. Not only that, he could eat anything he wanted to eat. He fared sumptuously. Every day. That means he ate good. Amen? I mean, you know, uh, he, he ate very good. And so uh, like that, I, I had a preacher friend back in Kentucky, and he said that means he had beans, taters, and cornbread every day he wanted. Amen? But I'm sure he probably had, had more than that in the sense that he ate whatever he wanted. But there's some people that would say this about this man. In today's world, they would say this. He had it made. He had arrived. I mean, he was a success because he had anything he wanted. I mean, it was available. He could afford it, and he could get anything he wanted to get. You know, there was a man by the name of Howard Hughes. Some of the older people in here remember Howard Hughes who owned a big portion of Las Vegas and an airlines and much other things and assets that he had. Very wealthy, rich man, uh, one of the richest men of his day. But he, was, he became a recluse because he looked at his money in such a way that he thought everybody was trying to get his money. So he wouldn't let anybody cut his fingernails. They grew and grew. Wouldn't let anybody cut his hair he, because he thought they might try to kill him. Uh, one of his uh, aides was telling about how he would get a desire for a certain flavor of ice cream. And he would call Baskin Robbins and he would order this flavor that he wanted. They didn't make it, but basically he had them on speed dial where he could call them and say, I want this flavor of ice cream. And the minimum was 300 gallons. They had to make 300 gallons of ice cream in order to give him that flavor. And his aide said he might eat one or two gallons of it and the rest of it be thrown away. Now, that's 
wealthiness and having what you want. Well, oh, let me fast forward and tell you how he died. Flying over Las Vegas in an airplane with one aide that couldn't get near him and lonely and miserable and just by himself. That's how he died, in a plane. Nobody around him. No friends. The only family he had was always trying to fight over whether they had a part of his fortune or not. And trying to prove they was his family. What a miserable life. And yet this world would say he was a great success. I remind you, success is not me- measured in dollars and cents. Success is not measured in things. I, I used to, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, great big billboard on one of the main intersections in town. was up there for years from a sporting goods store. And it had a picture of all these uh, sporting uh, vehicles and everything on this billboard. And then it had this caption. Here's what it said. He who dies with the most toys wins. And I said, how sad. How sad. All those toys mean nothing if you don't know Jesus Christ. This man says, hey, he fared sumptuously. He had the best of clothing. He had anything he wanted. But the sad thing was he still would not recognize God. I was knocking doors in Louisville, Kentucky several years ago. Knocking, a man came to the door and I said, sir, I said, do you, uh, do you go to church anywhere? And he said, no, don't have time, not interested. And I said, sir, very quickly, let me ask you one other question. If you was to die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And he said, uh, I wouldn't and I don't care. He said, look, nobody's ever given me anything. I'm a self-made man. I've made my money. I've got what I want. I've got what I need. And I owe it to nobody, not even God. And I said, sir, I beg to differ with you. I said, what you have, if it, were for, if it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have had the strength to make it. You wouldn't have had the knowledge to make it. I said, the very air you're breathing is because of God. I wished I could tell you he acknowledged it and got saved, but he didn't. He just shut the door. How many people are there in this life like that today that won't recognize God? And that's what this, that's, that's what this rich man did. But I want you to see he's also the voice of an apathetic man. You know what? Here the Bible says uh, that there was a man, a beggar, certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now, here was this beggar. Now, no doubt he couldn't walk. You say, why is that? Because the Bible says somebody laid him at the gate every morning. They would lay him at the gate. And here he is laying out there. Why'd they lay him there? Well, this is a wealthy man. Surely this wealthy man would let him have the crumbs off his table. Surely he would see this man and care about him enough that he would give him some attention. But you know what? Evidently this man cared nothing about this individual. Because we find that he's laid there desiring the crumbs that would fall. And and by the way, Lazarus is truly a sick man. 
He's not just laying there for his pleasure and trying to get gain. No, he's got some serious issues. The sores he has, I'm not going to, I know we still got lunch coming, so I'm not going to get real gross with you, but I'm going to tell you there was nothing appetizing about this man. You would, you would not want to look upon him because of the, the disease that he had. And even the dogs would come, and, and the only friend he had the dogs, and they came because of licking the sores. Here he is laying at this man's gate. You know what I bet the rich man did? I'll tell you what. Come out every morning. Maybe go down to the marketplace or whatever. And yeah, man, why does he have to be here? And walk by him and ignore him. When he could have had him seen to, and he would have never missed whatever he would have invested in that man. He could have said, bring him out some food. But obviously he never did. Never did. He cared less. I'm going to tell you, even though he was laying right there where he could see him maybe multiple times during the day. Can I tell you something? We better be careful that we don't lose our compassion for this world. You see, because, hey, that's what missions is all about. There's people all around this world that need uh, somebody to care. Somebody who will care enough to give them what they need in a sense spiritually, and that's Jesus. And so we find that he was an apathetic man. Can I tell you something? Hey, let me just stop. I'm going to put this in here real quick. Having things is not wrong. God blesses his people. Amen? Amen. I mean, uh, Abraham was a very wealthy man. Job was a very wealthy man. And even though everything, you lost everything, God doubly blessed him in the end. And so it's not necessary. I'm not saying that, hey, it's wrong to have things. What's wrong is when the things have you. It's when your life is controlled by possessions and that's all it's about. And you don't take time to think about others. And you don't take time to think about what you can do to help somebody else. And that's exactly the attitude of this rich man. He could have done so much for this man, but he totally ignored him. He just left him laying there, the Bible says. Now watch verse number 22, though. Both of these men are mortal men. In other words, human beings... They're going to die. <laughs> Look in verse number 20. Or excuse me, in verse number 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Woo, let's just stop right there. I, I kind of get excited right here about this. Amen. He's laying, get this picture. He's laying out at the gate one day. They put him there. He, he, can't hardly, he can't move. He can't get up. He's no doubt hurting. I mean, these, this, this condition he's got is horrible. He's just dying slowly. And then one day, his heart quits. And there's an escort waiting for him. There's angels. And they pick him up. And they carry him into Abraham's bosom, what we call heaven. Amen? And they carry him there. And I cannot tell you something. Let me tell you what happens on earth when his heart stops. Somebody comes by and said, I think he's dead. And they said, Yeah, he's dead. Well, let's get this, let's get this body out of here. 
Uh, can I just explain probably what happened here in, in those days? Somebody came with a cart. They pulled a cart up right there. They picked up his dead body and they put it in the back of a cart. They hauled it out to where the city dump, near where the city dump was, and they had a pauper field out there. And basically they would dig a shallow grave, throw his body in it, and that was it. There was no markers. There was no funeral. There was no flyers. But I got to tell you something. Lazarus could care less. He didn't care that there wasn't a funeral. He didn't care that there were no flowers. He didn't care that there was no more. Why? Because now he's in heaven. Hallelujah. Never forget, when you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the best is yet to come. My son pastors in Springfield, Missouri, and during COVID, they had a members pass away, and of course, everything was crazy then with the funerals and stuff, and so he had to go get flowers for this funeral, so he went to the forest and said, make these up for me, and, and so while he was doing it, uh, the lady said to him, preacher, uh, the cards are all under that counter right there. Find the cards you want to put on the flowers. He said, Dad started going through them. He said they had them for everything. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, you know, happy graduation. And he said, I'm going through all these cards. I'm trying to find one that says praying for you or, or, or with, the, with sympathy or, or, or something of that nature. And he said, Dad, I'm pulling them out. And then he said, I pulled out one and it said, congratulations on moving into your new home. <laughs> he said, Dad, I took that one. He said, I put it on the flower arrangement because this was a dear saint of God. Amen. And he said, I put it on there and the family saw it and said, man, you couldn't have got anything that said it better. Amen. I mean, she just moved out of her old one and moved into the new one. When my mother passed away, our youngest son was three years old. And, and we had the graveside. And when we got ready to leave the graveside, uh, my son said to me, are we leaving Granny here, uh, Daddy? Are we leaving Granny here? And I said, oh, no, son, we're not leaving Granny here. I said, you see, all we're leaving here is Granny's old house. That old house got to where Granny couldn't live in it anymore. And she moved out of it. And she's living in heaven now. Amen. And all we're leaving is the old house. A little later, cemetery, and we pulled in that gate. He's in the back seat, and he said, I know where we're at. We're at that place where we left Granny's old house. But she don't live in it anymore. She lives with Jesus in heaven. You know what? How the mouths of babes. That's what we have to look forward. Now, wait a minute. The Bible says, and the rich man died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. You know what happened? His heart quit one day. For whatever reason, his heart quit beating. You know, he died. Oh, can I tell you this? I can just about tell you this, I believe, and say he did have a funeral. Oh, I'm telling you what, he probably had all kinds of flowers and mourners because he's a wealthy man. He's and everything. And I'll tell you another thing. Probably had a nice big marker. It was probably put up, you know, a family marker maybe. Because evidently, very well-off family, very well-known. But can I tell you something? 
He didn't care either. He could care less about what they did with the, his body because now he's in hell. He'd give everything he had to get out of there. He, a funeral would mean nothing to him. Hey, all, all that they did mean, because why? The Bible says he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Now watch what happens when he's there. Here's the thing. Here's this voice crying out again and warning, but here's what the voice is crying out now. Send Lazarus. Who? You mean you know his name? Isn't that amazing? He didn't have time for him when he was laying in the gate. Now he's in hell, and guess who he's thinking about? Lazarus. Hey, can you send Lazarus that he can just touch, dip his finger in water and touch my tongue? Oh, by the way, I'll remind you of this. In hell, they have all their senses. He can see. He can hear. He can still taste. Hey, all of it's there. He's aware. But he's miserable. He's tormented. Flames. Yeah, it's real. It's real. And here he is. And now he says, just send Lazarus that he can just... One drop of water, that's all. One drop of water. Mm. I don't know that words could adequately describe how beautiful heaven is, but I don't think words could adequately describe how horrible hell is. Mm. And he says... Well, if he can't come here, send him back to the earth and let him go to my father's house. I've got five brothers. Evidently, he knew his five brothers were not prepared either. He said, I don't want him to come here. Send him back and let him warn them and tell them. You know what? You'll notice what Abraham said. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. Yeah. Let them listen to them. Oh, but if one rose from the dead, then they would repent and listen. He said, no, not even if one rose from the dead. Can I remind you? One did rise from the dead. But they're still not listening. Even though Jesus Christ came and rose from the dead people are still not listening like they should how sad oh he said look I've got a burden for my brothers you know what if we could hear from hell today I believe the number one scream would be this please Somebody go tell my family member. Somebody go tell them. I don't want them to come here. Go tell them how they can avoid coming to this awful place. I don't know if you've ever heard of evangelist Carl Hatch. He was in the 70s. He got saved and worked at the 
General Motors plant up in Detroit, Michigan, and and he was a drunk. I mean, he was he was a very vile man before he got saved. But he got saved and started preaching the gospel, and they even had to fire him from General Motors for getting too many of the workers saved and meeting with them during the break time and preaching to them. But Carl Hatch's testimony tells of he had a friend named Eugene. Eugene flew an airplane and he called him one day and he said, Carl, go out to my girlfriend's house out on her farm. I'm going to fly my airplane out there. I'm trying to impress her. And so I'm going to do some some of my trick flying. And he said, you'll want to see it too. So Carl said he drove out to that farm and sure enough they got out there and here comes Eugene in his plane. Said Eugene started doing barrel rolls and, and rollovers and diving and he said he was just doing all kinds of stuff. And said on one time he came down to do a, a nose dive and then to pull it up. And said as he was coming down, his girlfriend began to holler, He isn't going to make it. He's not going to make it. And sure, sure enough, he hit the ground. And when he did, the plane exploded into flames right there in front of him. Carl said, I ran toward the plane. It was in flames. But I could just barely see through the window. And I could see Eugene. And Eugene was screaming, Carl! Carl, get me out of here! Carl, I'm burning! And he said, I could not get him out, but I listened until his voice just died away. He said, after I got saved, many times in the middle of the night, I'd wake up hearing Eugene's voice. Carl, Get me out of here, Carl. Carl, I'm burning. He started Operation Andrew, which was a soul winning program to try to get the gospel out around the world. He said, because people are screaming out there all over the place. I don't want to die in these flames. Oh, I'm telling you, folks. You say, well, I'm saved. Praise God if you are. But you know what? We've been given a command. The church has been given a commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Why? Because they're dying and going to hell. They need to be warned. They need to be told how they can avoid hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell this morning. But I'm going to tell you what. God's given me a calling and that's because there are a lot of people still going to hell that need to be reached. I'll close with this illustration this morning. Back in the early 70s in Louisville, Kentucky, middle of the night, I guess it had been the mid-70s maybe, in the middle of the night, my pastor got a call and he said, woman on the other end said, preacher, you're in Louisville, right? He said, yes. She said, our son was traveling home from college down south. And last night they were tearing the toll booths out on I-65. And they hadn't completely torn them down. They was only partially down. And she said, our son, whether he fell asleep or what, hit that toll booth. And his car blew up and ignited in flames. And they tell us he's in the hospital there in Louisville badly burned and may not make it. 
preacher, we're not sure about our son's salvation. Could you go visit him? My pastor got dressed and went up to the hospital, and sure enough, they had him in the burn unit. They agreed to let him go in for just a while. When they did, the young man was bandaged from head to toe. The only thing not bandaged was his eyes. And my pastor said to him, son, you're badly hurt. You may not live. And your mother's called, and I need to ask you a question, son. But you can't answer me with your mouth. So the only way I know is with your eyes. Son, if you can hear me, would you bat your eyes? Would you just blink your eyes one time? And he went. And he said, so you can hear me. He said, son, once means yes, twice means no. Son, if you were to die, do you know that you would go to heaven? He went. No. He said, would you like to know? And he went. And my pastor took his Bible out and began to witness to him, shared scripture, and he said to him, son, right there, you can pray in your heart. You can't out loud, I understand. But in your heart, you can pray and ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sin, come into your heart and save you. Would you like to do that now? Tears coming out the corner of his eyes. And so he said, pray. My pastor prayed as he prayed. My pastor was, was praying and helping him as he prayed. But anyway, when he got done, he opened his eyes. He said, son, did you ask him? He said, if you was to die right now, son, do you know you'd go to heaven? They came in and said, you're going to have to leave. We've got 10 to his bandages. So he left. They said, it'll be a while before you can get in there. He said, well, I'm going to run back home. Here's my phone number. If anything changes, I'll be back up here to meet his mom and dad. They're on their way. He said, I no sooner walked in the house. My phone rang. It was before cell phones. And he said, the nurse said on the other end of the phone, Preacher, the young man's gone. Not too long after you left, he passed away. He said, I'll be back up there in just a little bit. So he went back up, and he's sitting in the corridor of the hallway when the doors open from outside. Lady and a man comes in. The lady comes running up the hallway and says, Are you the preacher? Are you the preacher? And he said, I am. And she said, Preacher, tell me. Tell me, they didn't tell me. They told me he died, but they didn't tell me. Did you get to talk to him? He said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, was he saved? Did he tell you? And he said, ma'am, I can tell you that your son asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart and save him before he passed away. He said, right there, he's six foot four inches tall, big man. He said, that lady literally jumped up and grabbed him around the neck. And at the top of her voice in that hospital, she said, Oh, thank you, preacher. Thank you, preacher. You just helped snatch my son out of hell. And can I tell you, that's what literally happened that night. Yeah, that's right. 
that close to hell, just a heartbeat away. But praise God, he got saved. Can I tell you something? Somebody outside those doors, they need somebody to warn them and tell them how they can avoid hell. You know why the missionaries are on the foreign field? Because people are dying and going to a real hell. And they're trying to keep them from going there. That's why we support them. Because we can't go tell them. But we can send the missionaries to go tell them. And every time one gets saved, it's snatching, as Jude says, out of the fire. Out of the fire. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, hell's nothing to play around with. You have no promise of tomorrow. You need to get it done. Take care of today. Somebody take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. If you're here and you're saved, who is it that needs your warning today that you can help to avoid going to a devil's hell? Well, if we could take the lid off, well, it's, it's been taken off. And his number one request, other than water for himself, was this. Go, tell my brothers that they not come to this place. Do you know why? If we could hear lost or saved that have passed away today, that number one thing they'd all say is this. Go tell them not to go to hell. Go tell them to get saved and be ready for heaven. Oh, by the way, if we did take the lid off today, that certain rich man, would still be screaming. He's still there. No exits, huh? He's still there. May God help us as saved people to have compassion for the lost. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to turn it over to the pastor the invitation time but my friend I wonder this morning two questions and I'll pray how many of you would say preacher I'm saved this morning no I'm saved but I gotta be honest I haven't really been trying to warn other people about hell like I ought to I haven't been witnessing I haven't been telling them how they can go to heaven and preacher God spoken to my heart and reminded me this morning how real hell is and as a Christian preacher, pray for me this morning. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now? Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. Hands all over. Yes, yes, amen. Oh, yes, I see them. Amen. Are there any others before we move on? Anybody else? Pray for me as a Christian. God's touch bar. Yes, I see it. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you for your willingness to share that. Now, if you're here and you'd say this to me, preacher, pray for me. I don't know for sure this morning if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. But preacher, I'm concerned about it. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I'll see it. You can take it right back down. Yes, I see it. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Pray for me, preacher. I'm not saved. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm concerned about it, though. Pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone else before I pray? Pray for me. Just slip it up, and I'll see it and acknowledge it, and you can take it down.
Let's stand together with our heads bowed and we'll pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the warning that you gave us about hell in your, in your word, Lord, in Luke 16 there. Lord, I, I pray help each one of us that are saved. God, hands were raised that you had spoken to hearts this morning. Lord, make us more aware day by day of people we're around and where they're going to spend eternity. And Lord, help us to be more vocal about warning them of the awfulness of hell, but also the beauty of heaven and how they can be saved. I pray for those right now, as I said I would. God, just help them as Christians. Then, Lord, for those that are not saved, I pray they'd not leave this building today. They'd come to the pastor or one of the workers, and Lord, they'd let them know, I want to get this settled right now. I want to get saved. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I pray you'd help them to do that in Jesus' name. Amen, preacher. You come. As the pianist begins to play, uh, if you'd like to have a time of prayer, I invite you to pray right there in your seat. If you're here and you are not sure about where you would spend eternity, the Bible says, Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't wait. Don't delay. Today's the day. Uh, My wife and I will be standing at the back on our way out. Brother Deck will be back there. If you want to come by and shake our hands and say, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be, we'd be glad to take some time to show you from God's word on how you can know for sure you have a relationship with God and eternity in heaven. I'll be quiet for the next few moments and let you have a time of prayer and decision there and right where you are. song together I surrender all we'll sing one verse of this song together I surrender all Just a quick second. He mentioned uh, the verse in Jude. Uh, there's actually a couple verses that uh, really sum up his his sermon that he just preached to us. Uh, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude. Jude 1 verse 22 and 23 says, 
and of, and of some have compassion, making a difference. May the Lord give us a compassion for those in our sphere of influence to see them not as just relatives or friends or coworkers or people who we go to school with, but as souls who will spend eternity somewhere. May the Lord help us to have compassion toward them. And the next verse says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I remember when I was uh, probably 16, 17 years old, I wanted to be a fireman. Um, I thought it would be kind of neat to go in and rescue people. And the Lord obviously had different plans for me. Uh, and I went went to Bible college. And I remember while I was, and, I, and I've shared this story before, but I was working at Staples. And uh, I was, th- this group of firemen came in to uh, buy some furniture. And I got to talking to them and I said, yeah, I've wanted, I wanted to be a fireman at one point in my life, not, not long ago. And, and, uh, but the Lord has uh, changed that. And now I'm going to Bible college. And I said, I guess in a sense, I still am a little bit of a fireman. I, I still get to uh, help rescue people from not just the physical fire, but from the spirit, the, the literal fire of hell. Um, so in a sense, uh, I don't have the cool uniform and the cool helmet, uh, but uh, I still have the same responsibility to go and to have the compassion. And, and by the way, as a Christian, that's not just for me, that's for all of us. And so thank you for that challenge today. Um, uh, help us, uh, Lord, may, may the Lord help us this week to have that in our mind as we go and come in contact with the different people that we'll see this week, uh, to not just look at them as people, but as people who are going to spend eternity in either hell, hell or heaven. And uh, both are very